All right, we're going to go to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you've got a hard copy in front of you and you're flipping around. Mark chapter 2. And I want to just kind of set the stage real quick, uh, give you a sense of what's going on. Uh, you may have uh, heard of this as the Gospel of Mark. Uh, some scholars actually call this uh, the Gospel of Peter. Uh, John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas and was very close to Peter. And we see a few indications in this text that it's written um, in Rome. It's written from Rome, and it's uh, it starts off with a couple of uh, Peter stories, and actually, uh, this compared to others, it covers uh, this gospel covers about four years, uh, Jesus' time on Earth, starting with his cousin John, um, and it includes more Latin expressions, more Roman expressions than the others. Also, it the Jewish customs and places. Coins, um, Aramaic expressions are explained in this gospel. So this, different than others, such as the letter to the Hebrews, this is really written, uh, it seems, to a Roman perspective, which is helpful to us in a sense in that we are kind of a third culture. It makes it a little bit easier for us to understand, and yet we won't necessarily just naturally uh, pick up everything. Um, also, what we see here is Jesus revealed as a servant, and we see more miracles recorded in the Gospel of Mark than any of the others. And so that kind of gives us a little bit of a framework of this letter, like the other Gospels, written down to record um, who Jesus was, what happened when Jesus was on earth. That was the purpose of it. And we've got already in the first chapter... Um, a little bit of the story with Jesus' cousin John, a preparation, a, 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 a public verbal expression, hey, this Jesus is the Messiah that we have been waiting for and is talking about the kingdom of God. And then we see Peter's mother-in-law gets healed. We see a couple of other healing miracles, but we also see Jesus with kind of giving people a caution because he's not ready for the big crowd thing just yet. He's wanting to not have big crowds distract from the simplicity of his message and the profound nature of his message. Jesus enjoyed personal interaction. And that's a part of what we see already in chapter 1. And now we turn to this rather entertaining story in chapter 2. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, it's a little town on the south side of the Sea of Galilee, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, 
and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Now, there are a variety of things in this story that we won't have time to unpack in the next 30 minutes. Just like Ben and Leah have just welcomed new Emily Claire into their home, their third daughter, or fourth child. Congratulations to the Waybright family. We, we couldn't, in the next 30 minutes, explain what Zach is feeling as a big brother to three little girls, or any of the other aspects of what it likes to be in that birth. In the same way, we don't have time today to unpack everything that there is in the story, but I want to bring out the primary purpose and try to invite us in. Are you okay with that? Let's, let's just be invited into the story a little bit. So Jesus is primarily at this point from small town to small town. The, the crowds are there. The crowds are distracting a little bit from what's going on. And the setting of this story is in a house, in particular in a house where Jesus is staying. So the homeowner is thinking like, when's this meeting going to be over? Right? Like, what am I going to have to do to get all these people out of my house? And Jesus has performed miracles, but he's, he's preaching, he's teaching, and he's preaching the word of God. It, it's important for us to recognize that Jesus respected, knew, understood, he prayed, he taught the word of God. And I love the fact, I see, I believe that the Bible is the inspired and inerrant, perfect revelation of Jesus. So Jesus is talking to people. He's talking to people, the house is crowded, and then what happens? All of a sudden, some pieces of the roof start coming in on the living room. Now, how many of you know that's like, hello, Right, that might have stopped the teaching. What, what is happening? They're digging a hole in the roof. They have dragged their paralyzed friend in a stretcher up onto the roof, which is an accomplishment in and of itself. Now, poor guy, he didn't have much of a choice, right? They're just taking him where they want, right? And it's pretty remarkable to me that by the layout of the roof, they knew where Jesus would be, and they put the hole in the right place. It's because it says they dropped him right in front of Jesus. Hello? Now, that that's remarkable in and of itself. But I want to take this a little bit piece by piece. Because Jesus verbally marks a few aspects of this that are important. What do you think these four guys were thinking when they did this? When they're, they're taking apart the roof and they're lowering him down. What are they thinking? Jesus comments, we, we get at, in the description of the gospel a comment on their faith. And the faith word is the same faith word that's used in most 
passages, and it refers to a trust, a complete reliance upon, and action. It's talking about taking action based on a belief. A complete trust, a complete reliance. Like when you step on an airplane, you're saying with your actions that you believe it's going to end up where it says on the ticket. Right? When they are taking apart the roof and lowering him down, there is a faith, a complete trust, a reliance. That's remarkable. Jesus, and I want you to imagine that you're there, because that's that's what the story is there for. We can easily read through these things, think about these things, and not consider what it would have been like to be there. And I think that's really dangerous to us. What was it that Jesus saw on the man's face? What was the nonverbal communication? Now, we're not given a great deal of description about this man and what was going on on the inside of him. But it seems to me that when Jesus looked at him, Jesus' decision was that the miracle that the man longed for was not the same as the miracle his friends longed for. It's easy for us to not think about that, to skip over it, because we know the rest of the story. But let's not get it out of order. Well, thank you. Let's not get it out of order. The man was forgiven and then healed. Now, I think this part is descriptive, not prescriptive, because Jesus didn't always say you are forgiven before he healed. So this is not a condition. It's not a condition for healing, but it it is what happened in this case. And don't you know that sometimes when somebody else is praying for you, the miracle they want for you is not the same as the miracle that you want. And when Jesus interacts with this person, he goes to the heart of the matter, and he goes to the miracle that the man desired most. First. That's my belief. That's my belief. Your sins are forgiven. That's remarkable. Now then we get this description that the teachers of the religious law were offended. Now this, I think you need to understand that the Messiah is a huge part found in every one of the books of the Old Testament that we had and many other writings that they were literate to. The hope of the Messiah, the kingdom of God, a fulfillment and a coming to the end of the sacrifices, animals that were sacrificed and the other offerings for the atonement of their sins, uh, bringing that to completion and to a place where the kingdom of God would be such that you could be forgiven of your sins. This is an important topic. A topic that they yearned for. And when Jesus said, I forgive you, that was a bell ringer. Right? Because the man's sins were not against Jesus. They were against God. And so there was a nonverbal reaction from these experts in the religious law in the room. Their disdain was visible. Right? And if you would like some animation to that, just watch Fiddler on the Roof and you can kind of fill in some blanks, right? So, uh, just one of, one of my favorites. 
Should, should I sing? Do we have time for it? No, we don't have time for that. There was a disdain. But I, I actually looked at this this week in the Greek, and there is a beat. There is a separation. There's a separation of the moments. Jesus isn't, oh, I'm going to heal this man. I'm going to forgive his sins just to teach y'all a lesson. Actually, that doesn't happen. In the account in the Greek, it's like separate things that occurred. First, there's a forgiveness of the sins. And the New Living that I just read is actually not a very good translation of this. The Greek actually makes it, says that Jesus was listening to the Spirit. And then he heard from the Spirit what was happening on the inside of them and what he should say. Now that's an important distinction because I think if we're not, if we're, we're not careful, we can just think that Jesus was just trying to bring about an object lesson. I don't think that's true, especially in this case. I think that Jesus cared about the people that he was interacting with. I do think he cared about us and what we would read from it, and he did care about the other people in the room that were witnessing it, but in his perfection, he cared very much for this individual. And forgiving that sin was, I think, about the only thing that mattered in that moment. And then he was paying attention to the Spirit, and he heard from the Spirit what else was going on and what else needed to be addressed in the room, which was a need for a revelation of who he was, right? Like, Superman. They needed a revelation that he was the indeed the Messiah. And so it is important for us to know, what does Jesus do when his identity is called into question? Because that's, that's what happens, right? They're like, no, nah, you can't do that. Not in here. <laughs> not in here, not in there, not... Not anywhere. They didn't want him to do that anywhere because it challenged what they did. You understand? It didn't challenge how they got paid. It challenged their authority, their respect in the community. But Jesus knew that it was time to reveal himself as Messiah. And I think he chose very well what he said next. Is it more difficult to say, get up, or your sins are forgiven. I love the fact that Jesus taught with questions. So I want to talk about the main point of this story. Jesus brings forgiveness and healing in the realization of the good news. This is a good news message. You came to the right place. This is a, it's done, it's settled, it is complete. This is a, Jesus didn't wait for him to confess his sins and to ask for forgiveness. Jesus said, you are forgiven. Now Jesus had discernment of the condition of the man's heart. Jesus is the one that has the right to do this. And, and I want to also just, let's unpack a little bit the words that Jesus uses because they are specific and they are on purpose. Jesus doesn't just use the sin word for a mistake that you made. Oops, I did it again. He doesn't just use that word. He uses a word that refers to the mistakes that you have made, the disorder that is in your heart, in your relationship with God, and the moral consequences of those mistakes. That's the word that Jesus... See, we got a, the... Original language is kind of like reading the story in HD. And that, that's what is happening. Jesus is not just said, I forgive the fact that you made mistakes. No, he's saying, I'm going to forgive and make right and give you my righteousness for what you have done 
and the consequence of it. Because the wages of sin is death. Death is separation. What we see right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, the consequence of our mistakes, of a disorder on the inside of our heart and our relationship, whether it means not doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing, the result of sin is separation. What happens in most cases, right, with infidelity in a marriage? There is some separation. Now, God can do miracles, and I've seen God do miracles, but when we make mistakes, there is separation. And most often, in our immaturity, when we make mistakes, we will withdraw, we will isolate, we will separate ourselves from relationship with God. Oh, I could come to church, it's been a good week. That's backwards. That's backwards. You should come all the time. We gather in homes together. Come to the Lord all the time. When we come on Sunday morning, it should be all the time. When we've had a jacked up week, we should come more. Like 9.30 prayer, like more. Like all, right? It's backwards. But Jesus is saying, I'm forgiving the moral consequence of the mistakes that you have made. The separation. And he's saying this forgiveness word that he uses is actually the same word he uses when he gives us the Lord's Prayer. Daddy God who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive. That forgiveness word that he uses means to remove the guilt and restore the relationship. That's what that means. He's saying, I forgive your sins. And what he means by that is, I remove the guilt. I take away the guilt. And I bring you back into relationship with God. That's what the forgiveness of Christ means. Come on, aren't you glad for that today? Right? You didn't have to wait till you were at your best. When you were at your worst, God made the decision for you, for the sake of your soul, that through Jesus, He would remove your guilt and restore your relationship. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now they get offended. Well, this is blasphemous, right? Because, and they, they, the word that they use for blasphemous is like you're injuring the reputation of God. You are harming God by what you are saying. Because they didn't understand that he was revealing himself as Messiah. One quick other note. At the end, we see the people that were there that witnessed it said, we've never seen anything like this before. And I want to point out to you that we have from historical documents the facts that there were many people that declared themselves to be Messiah while Jesus lived. So that statement is important because they had seen people who claimed to be Messiah, but they had not seen those people do this. Say this. That matters. That's a whoa, right? Jesus revealed to be the Messiah. If we're not careful, we will live in this natural world more connected to it than our spirits connected to the spirit world. And we will fall into a belief, or maybe we have been raised in a belief, a very American idea that God may exist but he's a way far away and rarely intervenes in our world. Or maybe we'll take a separate, almost pagan 
spiritual approach that Jesus is everywhere. All gods are everywhere in everything, in, in this and in that and in this and in that. No, 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 no. Jesus is alive. Jesus walks. Jesus talks. The Messiah. The Messiah. Here, Jesus Christ. Yeshua, Yamashiach, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the living one, is in our world, in our lives, involved, even when we cannot see it. We must come away from this story excited, interested, curious. Where is Jesus involved where I am not recognizing it? Now, I don't know what was going on in this man's heart, but I, I want to speak to what I think might be possible that is also possible on the inside of us in our condition. It is possible for us to become overwhelmed and adrift. Maybe you've experienced this at some point in your life in the past. Maybe you're experiencing it today. Maybe you will experience it in the future. Wherever you are, I hope that this will be helpful to you today. When stress begins to overwhelm us, when we become burnt out on our job, our marriage, our faith, our whatever, most often it is because one or all three of these things have occurred. You can become overwhelmed and adrift when you lose God's perspective for your life. Maybe you had it at one point. Maybe you read it at one point, but there's been a drifting. There's been more time and energy used trying to self-medicate, reading, listening, thinking about other people's thoughts than the thoughts of Jesus. When you lose God's perspective for your life. I, I have to be honest with you. I care a lot more about who Jesus is and what Jesus said and how Jesus thinks and how Jesus feels than what most living people write. I get questions all the time. What do you think about this person, that person that's on TV and the internet, these Christian celebrities? Hey, God bless them. If they're serving Jesus, God bless them in their ministry. I don't have time to keep up with all that stuff. I'm concerned about what Jesus thinks about what's happening today. Like, is this person good? Is that per- I Honestly, I'm sorry. I'm not always the best person to tell you. And I hear people rail on and accuse Christians that I actually know personally, that I've actually spent time with personally, that are national names. And like, no, that criticism is all wrong. If you spent a week in their church, you would know that criticism is all wrong. So that my point is, when we lose God's perspective for our life and we get distracted with other things and we start to feel like other things and thoughts and concerns are more important than God's perspective for our life, that's when we can become adrift. And as a result, overwhelmed by the challenges, the concerns of this life. Second, you can become overwhelmed and adrift when you lose your vision for the future. God loves you, and He's got a plan for your life. And there is a hope in front of you. We believe in the, the, the steps to recovery. That's why we do celebrate recovery here and in prisons. And, and there, those steps are helpful. But I have yet to see somebody live free from addiction without hope for the future. You've got to have a vision for your life. And it better come from God. Some of us are adrift and overwhelmed because we're serving our vision for our lives. Third, you can become overwhelmed and adrift when you live under stress for so long that you finally give up. 
Pastor Ben, you're bumming me out. All right. I just finished a, a book um, called Endurance. I think the first thing I ever watched on Netflix was a documentary about endurance. This story. Uh, on the screen, you see a picture of Ernest Shackleton. This is a man who set out to, well, let me read this to you. In August 1914, the polar explorer, Ernest Shackleton, boarded the Endurance and set sail for Antarctica, where he planned to cross the last uncharted continent on foot. In January 1915, after battling its way through a thousand miles of pack ice and only a day's short sail of its destination, the Endurance became locked in an island of ice. Thus began the ordeal of Shackleton and his crew of 27 men. For 10 months, the ice-moored Endurance drifted northwest before it was finally crushed between two ice flows. With no options left, Shackleton and a skeleton crew attempted a near-impossible journey over 850 miles of the South Atlantic's heaviest seas to the closest outpost of civilization. Their survival, and the survival of the men they left behind, depended upon their small lifeboat successfully finding the island of South Georgia, a tiny dot of land in a vast and hostile ocean. Now here's what happens. They live on the ice, and then smaller and smaller chunks of ice. They've got sled dogs, and they're able to kill seals and penguins and, and survive over 500 days. They're able to survive, locked in ice, too treacherous to try to cross. They finally are able to land on, on, on a small island with some just enough gravel for them to set up provisions. They leave most of the group behind, and six of them, including Shackleton, get in a 22-foot boat, which you see here, to try to sail 850 miles of the worst ocean on the earth. To this day, the U.S. Navy has not charted all of it. Their guides call it the most threatening in the whole earth. And I found, as I was reading the book, I found Shackleton's description of how he felt when they pushed off in that little 22-foot boat to go that 850 miles. Very telling. This is the author kind of describing what was written down in the, in the journals. The truth was that he, he felt rather out of his element. He had proved himself on land. He had demonstrated there beyond all doubt his ability to pit his matchless tenacity against the elements and win. But the sea is a different sort of enemy. Unlike the land where courage and the simple will to endure can often see a man through, the struggle against the sea is an act of physical combat. And there is no escape. It is a battle against a tireless enemy in which man never actually wins. The most that he can hope for is not to be defeated. See, he had survived the worst that weather and ice could throw at him. But it finally came time in his element, known as one of the greatest sailors, one of the greatest nautical minds of his generation, when he got into a boat, into the ocean, to go just 850 miles to where there was an island that he knew where there was help, he felt adrift and overwhelmed. 
If you're not careful, you will find yourself feeling that way about your life. Maybe you have before, maybe you do today, maybe you will in the future. Pastor Ben, why are you so intense about like these small groups and Sunday mornings and Purple Book and Jesus? Because I know every human is going to have moments like that. I'm not your answer. The person next to you is not your answer. Whatever you're using to self-medicate is not your answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus brings forgiveness and healing in the realization of his good news. It's time for us to believe, receive, and respond. Maybe it's a a first-time prayer that you need to pray today. Maybe it's a rededication. Maybe it's a wake-up prayer. Or maybe it's a, God, will you deepen my faith? God, will you help me to see where you are involved in every day of my life? God, will you forgive me for how I have been drifting? Will you forgive me for how I've been slack, not seeking you above all else? God, will you restore me, remove my guilt, restore my relationship? God, will you fan into flame that first love of you? And may everywhere I go, people be aware that there is something different. The good news is true. It's life-changing. It is the only reason I'm here today. It is the only way I can smile today. The good news is eternal. Are you overwhelmed and adrift because you're more focused on the natural world than the spiritual? If we go to war, if we have another civil war, if we have a president who is the Antichrist... None of that will change who Jesus is to me. I'm forgiven. I'm healed. And to my last breath on this world, may I say, Daddy, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. May I be contagious with the love of Jesus. The hope that is found in Jesus. That though I face things that I cannot solve, though I face challenges that I do not even completely understand, though I find the need to constantly be learning so that I can live this life, may I every day face it with, thank you, Jesus. It is possible. The simple songs we finished with this morning, I love you, Lord. It is well. Better is one day. What's coming out of your heart matters. It matters. And it affects you. It changes you. Jesus brings forgiveness and healing in the realization of His good news. It's time for us to believe, to receive, and to respond. And to recognize that God has put people in our lives around us that need this message. They need for us to not be overwhelmed by the concerns of this world. They need us to not be overwhelmed, for us to not be adrift. 
They need us to have peace that only comes from Jesus. It's possible. Are you with me? Chris, will you come and play, please? I want to just pray. Just leave some time for some prayer this morning. I'm going to give you a couple of questions to consider. And you can even just listen to this on the recording later. <clears throat> this story, it's, it's kind of goofy. You're tearing a hole in a roof and just to heal a man who was paralyzed. What we see in it is that God does the impossible. And some of us, whether we're facing addiction or depression, anxiety, eating disorders, whatever, There is something in our life that we're paralyzed to solve. And we can become hopeless, overwhelmed, adrift. God doesn't want that for us. He wants us to look to him as the answer, as the miracle worker, right? That's what he wants. So a few questions to consider in your spirit this week. What do we learn about God from this? What do we learn about God? What do we learn about ourselves from this? What does this say about who God is? What does, remember everything about Jesus reveals something about God. What does this say about who God is? What does this say about who we are? What does this say about how God sees us? And the areas in which we're paralyzed. What does this say about your past? What does this say about your present? What does this say about your future? What does this mean? Is it true? Does it make a difference? Jesus brings forgiveness and healing in the realization of his good news. I'm going to pray, but I want you to have a freedom today to stay as long as you want to stay. To pray, to reach out to God, to ask somebody else to pray for you. To ask God for change. For some of us, we need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been trying to do this life on our own, out of our flesh, out of our own strength. We've not received the power of the Holy Spirit. That was an essential part. We already That was in Mark chapter 1. See the voice of the Father, the Holy Spirit's interaction. Some of us need to ask God for the Holy Spirit to immerse us, lead us. Whatever it is, you reach out in prayer today for God. I want to close in prayer. Just today, we don't always do this, but I'd like for you to respect this space for prayer after I dismiss. Take your conversation uh, to the back of the room where there's drinks and refreshments today. God, every one of us need you. Every one of us, myself included. Every one of us are thankful for a revelation of Jesus. Who Jesus is, the Christ, the Messiah. We come to you today. Honest about where we need you. Lord, would you forgive us? the mistakes that we've made, the way that we've become distracted. Would you cleanse us? 
cleanse our minds, our thoughts, our emotions, our decision-making, our bodies, our spirits. Would you cleanse us, Lord, today? God, would you please immerse us in your Holy Spirit today? Would you please lead us by your Holy Spirit? Would you please bring to life that which in us is dead? That which in us which is paralyzed? Would you bring it to life, Lord? Lord, according to your will, that you would do miracles on the inside of us, in every aspect of us. Lord, would there be a realization of your good news, of the gospel message, of what it means for Jesus Christ's identity to be revealed? That you can forgive us of sins. Healing miracles are a proof that it is possible, that it is real. The fact that the resurrected Jesus Christ walks the earth today is a proof that forgiveness is possible. Healing is possible. Oh, Lord, would you change us. Lord, we believe, help us in our unbelief. Lord, would you lead us. Help us to be more aware of your presence than anything else in our lives. That everywhere we go, we would carry your presence. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, I ask, to share freely what you've given us freely. I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.